Welcome to episode 221 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thanks for joining us. We're lawyers talking technology, security, privacy, and government. Uh, we're just going to be doing a news roundup uh, today, uh, and I am joined in the studio by Nick Weaver from Berkeley, uh, who has brought with him uh, a, for show and tell uh, a, a racing drone, uh, which will become relevant later on in the program. Also on Skype. Uh, by David Chris, uh, who, among other things, was head of the National Security Division uh, in uh, the Justice Department from 2009 to 2011, uh, and by Nate Jones, a veteran of both the Department of Justice, uh, the National Security Council Terrorism Office, and then was Assistant General Counsel uh, at Microsoft um, from 2012 to 2017. I am Stuart Baker, uh, currently with Steptoe and Johnson, still holding the record for returning uh, more times than any other lawyer to practice law here, formerly of NSA and DHS. Uh, so let's jump right in. Michael Doherty of LabMD has gotten his revenge at last. It took him pretty much 10 years uh, uh, to um, lay waste to the FTC, which laid waste to his business. Uh, uh, he was basically his business uh, um, cratered because one of his employees was using LimeWire. It's, it's like this is like a, uh, a nostalgia show to even bring up LimeWire. Uh, and uh, because it's easy to misconfigure LimeWire, they had exposed some patient records uh, um, Somebody found them uh, um, and uh, tried to sell services to Doherty. Doherty thought he was being uh, extorted, uh, refused to pay. In the end, the FTC was brought into it, probably by the people who uh, um, Doherty thought were extorting him. The FTC said, you can't do that. Uh, You're going to have to sign a consent decree. And Doherty said, the hell I will. I'll close my business before that happens. And he did close his business, uh, uh, refused to sign the um, uh, consent decree, and has been litigating with the FTC Ever since, the FTC has shown a remarkable degree of uh, uh, foolish consistency in its determination to pursue him at all costs, and they got their comeuppance in the 11th Circuit, which has dramatically undercut their authority in privacy cases in a couple of ways, some dicta saying, uh, you know, you're going to have to show negligence if you want to claim something's an unfair practice. So don't just tell us that uh, uh, you don't like their security practices. You're going to have to show that they are genuinely negligent, not something a reasonable person would do. That's a much tougher uh, burden to bear. And then in their holding – said, you know, when you do a consent decree or try to do an order uh, uh, to somebody in this area, you have to tell them exactly what they can and can't do because the next step is a cons- is a uh, contempt holding and massive penalties, and we can't impose that on people for vague things like not acting reasonably. So uh, uh, the 11th Circuit has probably put in doubt every single consent decree in this area that the FTC has negotiated. Uh, uh, their enforceability is, I think, at risk. Uh, it's a, a, a it is sweet revenge for Michael Doherty, who probably was abused by the FTC uh, and who has now uh, struck back in a highly uh, effective way. All right, ZTE. Um, 
The Commerce Department uh, says it has a deal with ZTE. Uh, Congress is saying not so fast, but I think uh, Commerce probably is moving faster than Congress. Nate? Yeah, that's usually the case. I mean, technically speaking, it's never too late for Congress to do something to stop this. Um, you know, they really have two tools at their disposal. They can legislate and enforce a change, of course, or they can impose political pressure on, on the president and, and others. You know, I think um, we've seen evidence of this working in the past. It was a slightly different context, but the Dubai Ports World deal back in 2006, where a UAE company was um, working to take over major operations at significant U.S. ports, um, and uh, quite a bit of pressure from Congress forced the executive branch and, and the private company to ultimately change course. I think the yeah, million. I actually, question- I actually have to say, I, I testified. 10, 15 times on that. I still have the scars. Uh, uh, we've actually, Scipius have actually approved the deal already before it became a cause celeb. And uh, so uh, getting the um, foreign buyer to say, oh, well, never mind, was not an easy thing. But yes, it was a, it was a miserable experience for them and, and uh, for those of us who were inside the government at the time. Well, in the interest of full disclosure, I was on the Hill at the time and was uh, trying to hold your feet to the fire. So uh, (laughs) I apologize for that because clearly it left you scarred. Um, Mission accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I think there are two important things uh, to consider here and in specifically ways in which the world is a bit different than it was back then. Um, One, I think you have uh, a president who doesn't like to admit mistakes and doesn't like to retreat in the face of criticism. And you have a Republican-led Congress that has shown no inclination to take him on in significant ways. And so I think the million-dollar questions are, you know, will Congress try to do something? And even if it does, will it be successful? And I think I think those are harder questions to answer. Yeah, I, I suggested uh, in the last podcast that I thought this was going to be a particularly difficult call, uh, call for Paul Ryan. Uh, because he's the one who has to say, yes, I'm going to let this go to the floor and I'm going to let every Democrat and a bunch of national security Republicans vote for it. And I'm not sure whether he's going to do that. Yeah, I agree. The billion-dollar question, though, on the consent decree, is this billion dollars in addition to the previous billion-dollar consent decree, or is it just the same – consent decree that was the first go-round? Boy, if it's just the same damn billion, that's that's sad. Uh, Nate, do you know? I don't know. No. That would be that would be pitiful uh, and, a, and a genuine climb down on the part of uh, You know, a billion, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon, you're talking about real money. Well, the real money here was the cost of the delay uh, when they essentially had to tell everybody to stop to uh, work and down tools. Um, I think ZTE claimed to have lost two or three billion dollars from uh, uh, the loss of their ability to bid on contracts uh, and to fulfill contracts. Uh, so uh, that's been the real uh, penalty for ZTE and they'll continue to pay it for as long as this deal is not quite done. All right, this this has been a hell of a week in leaks, uh, and uh, and frankly, a hell of a week for the Justice Department catching people who are leaking and uh, uh, selling secrets. Uh, uh, of course, my favorite is the May December romance that produced uh, the indictment of 
a longtime security officer at the Intelligence Committee for leaking to a 23-year-old reporter he apparently was, I, I think the words are romantically involved with uh, for several years. Uh, uh, David, uh, um, what strikes you about this apart from the question of what she saw in him and what he saw in her? Well, yeah, so Jim Wolf was the director of security for Sissy for 20 years, from 1987 to 2017. And he met with the Bureau in October um, because the FBI had advised Sissy of uh, the status of Carter Page before that fact leaked out to the reporter. Um, They interviewed him in December of 17 and gave him the basic questionnaire uh, that they were probably using very widely about reporter contact, and he lied about his relationship uh, with the New York Times reporter, Ali Watkins, Um, and then shortly thereafter admitted lying when he was confronted with photos and other evidence of the relationship that they had. I think there's at least four points to take away from this case. Um, First... You know, although these leaks did apparently involve Carter Page, um, assuming they're true, the case looks, as you said, more political, uh, more personal, and romantic than political. It's it's more about the tight knit culture of Washington uh, than anything about Trump and Mueller in particular. Um, second, if we needed a further reminder, it's not what you do; it's the cover up that gets you. Here, Wolf is charged not with leaking, but only with lying about the relatively easily verifiable fact of his relationship with these uh, reporters, particularly Ms. Watkins. So let me uh, push Um, you on that, though. If he had admitted he uh, uh, had that kind of a relationship and she had the story, uh, uh, the next question would be, well, did you give uh, any of this data to her? And if he's not going to lie, he's got to say yes. And then his career is over at Sissy uh, anyway. Yeah, he's in a a tough spot. Um, It's just that when you make false statements – um, you know, you make it easier for the government to uh, bring charges. These charges have a combined max of 15 years, uh, and it's going to be tough to do a gray mail defense or any of the other things that uh, defense lawyers might be able to do in a more traditional leak uh, prosecution. This is, you know, essentially just looking at the written questionnaire and hearing from the FBI agents who, who interviewed him, uh, and it's a fairly straightforward case to bring. Uh, much less complex than a a prosecution for leaking in the first instance. It's not to say that he had an easy way out simply by telling the truth, given that he had uh, leaked it. It's just that he made it simpler for the government by lying in such an obvious way. Um, you know, so it it also shows, I think, that um, encryption is not a panacea. Uh, they were using encrypted apps, uh, Wolf and Watkins, but the government collected the metadata, which is the to-from information, which I'm sure Nick can explain is harder to encrypt uh, than the contents of the communication because you need the metadata to route the communication from point A to point B. And that metadata was enough to establish the relationship that Wolf later falsely denied. Maybe a fourth wanna, and final takeaway from my point of view is that the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, seems to be continuing to function at a relatively high level of maturity and bipartisanship. Senators Burr and Warner had to voluntarily disclose records to assist the FBI in its investigation. I mean, if you want to do a pretty interesting thought experiment, imagine what would have happened had this been Hipsy rather than Sissy. Would Devin Nunes have done the same thing 
on the House Intelligence Committee side. Uh, that, I think, estranges credulity quite a bit. So that's that's Jim Wolf. So, um, Nick? A couple of things to add in on that. Um, first of all, if you actually read the complaint, it's not just the reporter that he was stupid enough to sleep with, which I think should actually be a five-year federal penalty there. Um but also, they really make the case in the indictment that they could have done the whole Jeffrey Sterling route and actually charged for um, mishandling classified information. Um, so I think the goal is to just not actually have this see trial um, because under the implicit threat of if you want to keep going on this, we have a superseding indictment we could drop. Um, and also, please don't say 15 years. Every time you say the statutory maximum, Ken White dies a little inside. And I feel like being <laughs> kind to Poe Pat. <laughs> so uh, – let me ask you, Manafort also was using WhatsApp uh, and the government also had a bunch of data on Manafort's communications uh, in their superseding indictment or not, so their charge that he was engaged in obstruction of justice uh, while uh, out on uh, bail. Um, what are – what is the government doing that is uh, – apart from just collecting the fact of metadata – to be able to actually, in some cases, quote from these uh, these messages. Well, Manafort suffered from two problems. Well, three problems. He was stupid enough to try to commit felonies while on uh, bail. But the he used WhatsApp's backup option, which backs up all your WhatsApp data into iCloud. So you get a warrant for yeah. the iCloud and you get the contents. And the other thing is, is the two can seek a secret if one of them is dead problem, that all the encryption in the world doesn't help if your recipient goes and says, hey, uh, Mueller, um, Manafort's doing this. Uh, I don't yeah. want to be dragged into yeah. this. Um, but so in some ways, we're sort of back to the old informant cases where, you know, you whisper in the ear of the person you want to suborn perjury from, and they're either wearing a wire or they run to the prosecutor and tell them. And, you know, an oral whisper is an ephemeral and highly secure form of communication if somebody isn't wearing a wire, but you can't stop the other party from reporting you to the police. And the encrypted messengers, there's a generally flawed belief that they are um, ephemeral to a recipient who doesn't want them to be. So like even if you have the, the self-destruct feature, you just um, take screenshots. And that's apparently what these guys did because they didn't want to be dragged into the Paul Manafort show. But – Come on. I think there should be a mercy rule in federal prosecution. Piling on. No piling on. Yep. It's, it's rubble bouncing. So um, the, Ollie Watkins, we're, we're getting the usual self-righteous harumphing from the New York Times and others about uh, uh, how – what a danger it is that the government got this data about her communications. Uh, uh, do we really think that that uh, – uh, is going to deter the Justice Department in the future? It has in the past, hasn't it, David? Well, you know, it has in the sense that um, during the previous administration, the Attorney General Eric Holder 
was quite aggressive in leak prosecutions early on and then later adopted guidelines that restrict the government's ability to collect metadata from reporters, which is the sort of narrow end of the funnel when you're doing one of these investigations. Um, here, the uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, applied those regulations, apparently, and made the requisite finding to justify collection of the reporter's metadata. Um, and it doesn't seem as if the Trump administration terribly much cares what the fake news mainstream media liars, cheaters and stealers think of, of him or them. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> to put it you know, mildly. And so I, I think you would not expect this Justice Department and this administration to be terribly solicitous of uh, reporter prerogatives. I, uh, I, I doesn't require it. I have an idea for for new guidelines. The guidelines, the new guidelines, will be: we will not seek information about the records of reporters uh, from news media unless those news media have published editorials uh, harumphing about the president that no man is above the law and the law is entitled to the testimony and evidence from everyone, including the president of the United States, and surely includes newbie reporters for the New York Times. I, th I think well, that would drive all the leakers to Breitbart then, wouldn't it, Stuart? <laughs> <laughs> I probably would. Well, I, you know, that, that would certainly be good for their circulation. There's another yeah, yeah. important detail, though. The Justice Department actually told the reporter, as far as we know, almost right away, um, the reporter yeah. was actually a reporter for BuzzFeed at the time. It's that her lawyer told her not to talk to the New York Times about it. So in many ways, the New York Times is, oh, my God, this was done in secret. No, it wasn't. Right. It's this, the this reporter secret. kept it secret from you. It's hard to believe she's going to keep her job. In fact, it's hard to believe she's going to stay a journalist after this one. I, 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 no, know. I think she's uh, she'll be uh, quite successful. Okay. Uh, well, you know, uh, it has worked for other reporters who shall remain nameless uh, uh, in the past. Uh, the Chinese uh, uh, very quickly uh, a remarkable amount of Chinese. Uh, uh, espionage is getting prosecuted. Uh, we had an arrest. We had a conviction. We had a, Wall a Washington Post story about a successful uh, and very serious cyber espionage attack on um, a uh, naval uh, uh, contractor. Uh, um, uh, David, uh, is there a theme to all this? Yeah. Uh, the People's Republic of China is aggressively pursuing both human and SIGINT uh, cyber operations to collect um, classified information. Uh, Ron Hansen was indicted or charged with um, uh, providing information to them. Kevin Mallory, a former CIA officer, was convicted of it. Um, these are interesting cases in part because they, they, they sort of blow up the idea that the PRC only uh, targets uh, ethnic Chinese um, these are both uh, uh, Chinese speakers, but um, they're not ethnic Chinese. Um, and it's interesting in a way because they, they both were actually in discussions with the U.S. government at the same sort of time they were in discussions uh, with the Chinese. Hansen in particular is a really weird case in the sense that during 2015, he met with the FBI nine times, uh, thinking that he was talking to them about being a double agent for the U.S., having reported in that he was being recruited by the Chinese intelligence services. But the U.S. FBI was looking at him as a single agent, not a double agent. Yeah, uh, and so it, this is sort of isn't this him. this is sort of a Carter Page-ish uh, uh, situation, isn't it? it 
I mean, it may not be quite that crazy, but um, but yeah, it's it's odd. And then he tried to recruit a former colleague from DIA uh, to spy for them. He was having a lot of financial difficulties, and um, you know, you do have to wonder whether the uh, targeting of him by the uh, MSS was um, aided by some of the OPM hacks, the second uh, of which I think occurred in May 2014 when this was going on. Um, so he, he may have been approached before those OPM hacks, but it certainly probably helped them zero in on him because he was having a lot of financial difficulties and seems to have been motivated by a straightforward uh, financial need. Uh, Hanson, that is. All right. Well, that, yeah, that's that, that is ugly. It does. It does. Sort of the the theme, I think, is if uh, if you're looking for uh, money, you should be talking to the Chinese, assuming you have access to secrets. Uh, but if you're looking for love, you ought to talk to BuzzFeed. Um, <laughs> that's. <laughs> there is also this cyber espionage case that the Washington Post reported. Um, this is very modern, unlike the traditional human in in approaches in Hanson. It looks like earlier this year, MSS hacked an unclassified network of a defense contractor that was. Was working on a supersonic anti-ship missile called Sea Dragon, which is a cool name. Um, I can't quite tell how serious this is. The Post calls it highly sensitive information, but then says that the government's position is only that when aggregated, the information could be considered classified, which is not the strongest articulation that I've ever heard. So it, it might be very bad. It might be not so bad. Uh, sometimes people have various incentives to overstate or, or, or play up the significance uh, or sometimes to play it down. Um, anyway, another interesting fact here is the Washington Post says that it agreed to withhold certain details about the leak, which is something that seems almost old fashioned uh, in today's world where almost it seems like everything gets leaked out. So there are still some self-checking mechanisms apparently in play, at least in the mainstream media. All right. Um, let's do the lightning round and um, make it a little longer for the first item because uh, Nick has brought his uh, uh, racing drone. Uh, uh, DHS and DOJ, but DHS is carrying the ball on this, uh, um, wants authority to regulate drones, and they've got some pretty good reasons, and they've got a bill that is – pretty sweeping in terms of allowing them to intercept, uh, destroy, um, uh, and otherwise uh, interfere with drones that pose a threat. Um, uh, the uh, testimony was by the uh, Undersecretary for Intelligence and the Deputy General Counsel, Haley Chang, who uh, is a listener. So hi, Haley. Uh, uh, we'll get uh, Nick's view about whether your uh, proposal is a good idea. Well, that proposal made me do a happy dance because the problem is, is right now you can have a drone operating in an illegal manner and there's nothing you can do about it. You aren't allowed to shoot it down or jam it or whatever. And this gives federal law enforcement limited abilities because the ability of what you can do to it is due to the bloody drone is very broad. But it's only under very limited circumstances, defensive prisons, VIP, big sporting events, um, stuff like that. And it's really necessary because we are seeing things really scary. So we've all seen the ISIS footage. Um, apparently the Mexican drug cartels now have flying drone bombs. And when people think of drones, they think of these slow things like these DJIs. 
Um, but the racing drones, I've got one. Um, they're just so fast. When you have a drone that's $250, remote-controlled in a first-person view, you can get transmitters that work for over a mile, and these things can go 75-plus miles an hour and still be agile enough to fly underneath a moving freight train. We've got a serious problem, and um, I'm really glad to see that there's efforts being made to get the necessary authorities now before something bad happens. Yes. Uh, well, it sounds like DHS is uh, on top of this. Uh, uh, EFF, uh, on the other hand, is saying, wait, you want to intercept communications between a human being and a drone? Why, that's a privacy invasion. Uh, uh, we've got our doubts. Uh, <sighs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's a, a particularly evocative moan. We'll uh, close that item. Uh, uh, Nate, uh, a bunch of Democrats uh, in uh, the uh, Senate, I think, uh, have asked for a threat assessment of Trump's phone use, of his use of unclassified phones to tweet. Uh, um, there are a lot of security implications of that. Uh, I'm not sure that phone use is top of the list, but uh, uh, how seriously should we take this request by, by the Democrats? I mean, I think, uh, you know, on some level it's serious, of course, but, um, you know, I think it'll probably be met with the same anticipated foot dragging at the White House and, and ultimately result in, in a relatively political response that we, wait, we won't be able to, you know, I guess, um, elicit much from. I think you know, there are two things to keep in mind here, though. One is, you know, you have the president for reasons of personal convenience um, issuing the, you know, experienced professionals in the administration's advice about how to do some basic security around his his mobile phones. Um, but it's also important not to lose sight of the bigger picture here. We have a storyline that started shortly after he took office with the disclosure of sensitive information to the Russians in a meeting in the Oval Office, up through you know sensitive meetings in the middle of the dining room at Mar-a-Lago, to both the stories we've talked about here today about his cell phone use and about ZTE, where they're building up a pretty troubling record when it comes to information security. Yeah, and I think that should be concerning to to Americans, you know, of all stripes. And Nick, I assume you could build a uh, racing drone that would home in on the president's uh, unsecured uh, 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 phone signal uh, saying, uh, I've got a present for the president. That's unfortunately one of the problems with electromagnetic emissions. However, let's give the president some defense here. Um, the Manchurian pumpkin's phone is a lot better now than it was at the start. So at the start, he was tweeting from an unsecured Android phone, and now it's a much more locked down iPhone. And actually, from an information security viewpoint, if the NSA is doing it right, and I bet they are, it's actually a great way to troll for other nations' uh, zero days. You, you can, yes, <laughs> you can collect them all, uh, the, the full set. Uh, uh, so... In a public service announcement, uh, I, I don't always talk about uh, exploits because uh, they're deeply technical and they don't all have policy implications. But VPN filter and the attack on routers that the Russians are launching is deeply troubling. The best way to describe it is they're fishing with dynamite. So the idea is is they're compromising a huge number of home routers and the like. 
and then it turns out they have a third stage module that will allow them to target and compromise individuals' computers behind them. So it literally looks like they're setting up to pwn everybody on the router level and then target individuals. So let me ask Nate this because he used to work at Microsoft and I'll I'll, I'll stick him with this. Uh, Microsoft does a very good job of updating operating systems every month uh, and has kind of taken on responsibility for uh, for that. Um, I feel kind of comfortable that my uh, the people who are in charge of my phone, the people who are in charge of my computer um, are going to be aware of attacks and take reasonable action. I have no such confidence in my router. And now it turns out that the router can be used to do man-in-the-middle attacks, to steal credentials, uh, to basically log in for you uh, uh, to the uh, financial sites you visit. And this is like a a whole new security housekeeping uh, mess that nobody is making enough money to take care of. So the question is, do you think Microsoft is actually going to start taking over the security of routers? I doubt it, uh, <laughs> to be honest. You know, they, they're very good at what they do. They're very good at, you know, patching their own products and, um, and services and, and keeping them up to date. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a whole other line of business to try to take on this angle. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean somebody won't get into it, but... I think, you know, with a lot of the major tech companies, um, you know, they put a premium increasingly on focusing on their lines of business. You know, they have enough problems to worry about with those. Getting distracted trying to solve other problems um, just makes it more difficult to succeed. And so um, there's room for somebody else to jump into that fray. But I'd be surprised if these major companies try to take that on. So this is a complete mess, Nick. Uh, Uh, Worse. uh, The thing is, is it used to be the case that you could recommend Apple because Apple was doing this with the airport line. But that's mm-hmm. basically abandoned at this point. Um, the only one well, – as soon as they find out the FBI is using this capability, they'll go back into the business. No, they point. won't. <laughs> um, and um, I'm setting up a setup at home and I'm paying Eero, which actually does – you are paying for support. But it's a $500 piece of kit. Plus for, you pay the, on top of that? Uh the, the pay on top of it is optional extras that are ones that you'd get anyway. And yes, it's a $500 piece of kit that's consisting of multiple wireless mesh network, blah, 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 and support. And coincidentally, the CEO uh, I know is named Nick Weaver, but it's not related. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so this is not a sure. this is not self-dealing. <laughs> not uh, self-dealing. Sure, right. Uh, uh, okay, last item. He went to Stanford, okay? There's a big <laughs> difference. <laughs> All right, last item. I just could not resist this. I'm just astonished. A recent story that says Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Twitter all rely on the Southern Poverty Law Center to tell them who is engaged in hate speech. Uh, uh, And Amazon apparently just delegates to them. And they say, if the uh, the SPLC says you're a hate group, we're not going to let you get the benefit of having people who like you buy stuff from Amazon and we give you a one-half of 1% cut of what they spend uh, because you're a hate group. Um, And the Southern Poverty Law Center... I, I don't know if you guys have dealt with them, but they are somewhere between a 
a direct mail marketing scam and a lefty bias confirmation uh, uh, organization. They have taken you know this woman uh, Ion uh, Ali Hirsi who um, suffered from uh, uh, female genital mutilation uh, because of Islam and who is a uh, uh, campaigner against it has been characterized as well. She's against Islam, so she's uh, that's hate speech. Rand Paul has been uh, uh, identified as engaged in hate speech. Uh, obviously, can't get uh, uh, donations. Uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, which has testified to Congress on immigration issues a hundred times, which doesn't sound like your usual KKK outlet, uh, also listed as uh, hate speech by the SPLC. Uh, it's it's a scam. Uh, and for all of Silicon Valley to fall for this is, is you know, um, going to confirm all the worst uh, views of Silicon Valley that uh, the right already has. Uh, so uh, uh, that's my rant. Thanks to Nick Weaver, who came in with his uh, uh, drone, uh, to David Christ and Nate Jones for joining me. This has been episode 221 of the Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, remember uh, a few things. Uh, send us the names of guest interviewees, and you could get a highly coveted Cyber Law Podcast coffee mug. Uh, or hell, you can put anything in it if you like. Uh, I uh, send those to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. If you want to record and potentially have your um, uh, views of the show played on the air, uh, call 202-862-5785. And if you leave a, a pithy and uh, uh, ideally pithy and pissy uh, uh, message, uh, uh, we will play it. Uh, please go to uh, iTunes or Google Play or whatever you use in a- as an aggregator for your podcast and leave us a review because that's how other people find us. Uh, so we're looking forward to getting feedback and we will occasionally troll through the feedback and see if we can, can find uh, entertainingly abusive or uh, 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 charmingly um, enthusiastic messages uh, uh, and reviews. Uh, coming up, We've got uh, Matt Waxman and Duncan Hollis are going to be talking to us. Uh, as Matt said, uh, we knew you wouldn't be able to res- resist cyber law and uh, uh, PSA, the Proliferation Security Initiative. So they'll talk about that. I hope uh, everybody else can stay awake for that. But I'm enthusiastic. Bobby Chesney uh, uh, from uh, the University of Texas and the National Security Law Podcast and Danielle Citrone from Maryland will come to talk about deep fakes and their national security implications. Michael Hayden, uh, formerly CIA director, NSA director, the only person to have held both of those jobs, uh, uh, and also a stint at ODNI, has a new book out. Uh, we'll be talking to him. Uh, he's a uh, confirmed never-Trumper, uh, very worried about uh, uh, the post-truth world and how intelligence will function in that. Uh, and Kirsten Nielsen, Secretary of Homeland Security, has promised to reschedule, and we'll have her on shortly. Uh, finally, some show credits. Uh, Lori Paul and Christy Jorge are the producers. Doug Pickett is the audio engineer. Uh, Michael Beaver is our intern who has um, gotten us organized enough to give credits. And I'm Stuart Baker, your host. So we hope you'll join us next time as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.